Hello and welcome to the Doula and Midwife podcast with me, Charlene Yarrett-West, founder of Relaxing to Birth Online Hypnobirthing and the amazing virtual midwife, Karen Wilmot. So we came together to bring you Relaxing to Birth Plus, our comprehensive online antenatal course focusing on labor, birth and beyond, featuring extensive hypnobirthing techniques and a deep understanding of the physiology of birth and methods to avoid unnecessary medical interventions. So we always have so much to share. And so this podcast was born. And here we share birth stories, birthing world updates, interview birth workers from near and far, and also take the time to answer your burning questions around pregnancy, birth, and motherhood. Hello, Karen. Hey there, it's good to be back for another another episode of the Doula and Midwife podcast. And I'm delighted that we actually have another query from one of our listeners. This time um, anonymous, which is fine because I know that either even so her query does reflect so many of the people that we're working with currently. And what she said was, Dear Charlene and Karen, I'm 39 weeks tomorrow. And this morning on my routine checkup with my doctor recommended that I come in for an induction of labor on Thursday. Part of me is like, hell yes, let's get this baby out, please. But there's another part that's wondering whether my baby needs a few more days inside. Is he ready? And actually, am I? I've definitely noticed that I'm getting more frequent Braxton Hicks and I'm feeling a lot of heaviness in my pelvis. Besides that, not much at all. If I go in on Thursday, I could be home by the weekend with my precious baby boy. Should I go for it? Looking forward to your thoughts on induction. Thank you so much. And hope you don't mind, but I do prefer to stay anonymous. It's a common issue that is faced, and especially around the weekend, but we'll get into that, but around holidays. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's a very important topic to cover. Yeah, I think you bring up, a, well, she brought up a, a really interesting aspect about the weekend, and then you you know, reiterated it, and how often sometimes we want to try and slot in the birth of our baby with our lives and holidays and weekends and when families are going to be around. But the reality is that birth is unpredictable. And it's, that's just the nature of birth is that it's unpredictable. So yes, we can schedule it if we're scheduling a cesarean or surgical birth, or even if we're scheduling an induction, but we never really know how long the induction is going to take. And most inductions take in excess of 12 hours at least, and we need to give it at least 12 hours for things to get going, especially if your body isn't actually ready to go into labor. Because she mentions that she's been having more frequent Braxton Hicks and a feeling of heaviness in the pelvis, which for me are really positive signs that her body is already starting to get ready to go into labor. But that's been happening for a few days, and it probably needs a few days more before her body does go into labor spontaneously. If she chooses to go in for an induction, we're very, it, it's good because we know that her body is already starting to get ready. So it's more favorable and hopefully she will respond more positively to the medical methods that are used to induce labor. But it's not guaranteed because maybe she did need a few more days. And what we're essentially trying to do is speed everything up and trying to do in a few hours what would have taken a few days. And I think that's an important thing to remember is that we are artificially speeding the process up but I like, think it's key yeah. what you said about the body being ripe and ready just like mm. you know a fruit hanging on the tree an apple for example you're not going to be picking an unripe 
fruit of the tree, you are preferably waiting for it to be ripe and ready before you gobble it up. <laughs> exactly. And if you take it off the tree two days earlier, two days before it's ripe, it's not necessarily going to ripen any faster off the tree. Exactly. And there are ways of checking, right? We've got the bishop score. So a bishop score of eight or greater is considered to be favorable for induction. So maybe we can just go through what the bishop score is. We could, but I mean, how does that really translate to a woman who's sitting at home? She doesn't necessarily, she's not able to do that. No. So but why I, I often tell, if, if an induction has been recommended, I often tell the mothers to ask their gynees, how do I rank on the bishop score? Even if they don't fully understand what the bishop score is. So that they have this information about, yes, your body, your cervix, the station of the baby, etc. All of that is favorable for induction to be successful. But it also backfired on me once with a client who, who was being pushed for induction. Then she asked for the bishop score. And the gynae said, well, actually, your body is totally unfavorable. For induction so you might as well just go straight to Caesar and she did <laughs> she went straight to Caesar without a trial of labor so yeah I don't know I, I'm struggling with that a little bit to know what to say because my hand is not up there doing a vaginal examination well I my actually think that that's the point is that yeah. we shouldn't be doing a vaginal examinations unnecessarily of course you know, in order to, to get um, information about the bishop school requires that we do an internal examination to check how favorable the cervix is. Is yes. it softening? Is it starting to efface? Is it starting to become thinner? But really, if we trust the process of labor and we are opting for expectant management, meaning that we are waiting for you to be at least, to reach at least 40 weeks of pregnancy, then ideally, a vaginal internal examination is not even indicated. And what are we going to do with that information? What are we going, if you're not going to do anything with that information, then why are we doing it? And it's uncomfortable intervention. And it's going okay. to give you information that will either make you worry, because if we do an internal and the doctor says, well, your cervix is still very posterior, very high, very hard, it's not favorable at all, I leave the, the consultation room feeling really afraid and anxious. And what happens if it doesn't? If it's, a, if it's not ripe now, how long will it take? Will it be ready by next week? What do I have to do? It just adds a whole new level of anxiety that is not necessary and shouldn't be added there because it is working against, it's antagonistic towards the process of trust that we are trying to engender and foster and create in pregnancy. That is it just a knowing and a trust that my body is designed to do this and will start softening and getting ready on its own and looking for signs, physical signs in your body that is indicating, like she said, you know, increasing and more frequent Braxtonex contractions, more pelvis and the pressure, more lower backache, increased discharge. All of those things would be physical, actual signs that your body is getting ready. And the other thing, of course, is that when we do an internal examination, it's also a little bit of a 
chance that the doctors ain't going to do a stretch and sweep. Exactly. It's an open invitation to do a stretch and sweep. So if that's, if that's something that you prefer to avoid before 40 weeks, then don't do an internal examination. There are doctors who do internal examinations throughout pregnancy. I'm not quite sure why, though. Yeah. <laughs> I really have no idea why either. And it's, mm. and it's a huge red flag for me, actually. Yeah. I mean, it really isn't. It's something that is used more during labor to assess the changes yes. that are happening in, in the cervix. And even in labor, it can be avoided or at least spaced out more according to what your preferences are and I think that that's something that you need to be mindful of and but at the end of the day for me it's really going back to that sense of trust in your body that it will do what it's meant to do and trusting the signs and symptoms that you're feeling in the last weeks of pregnancy and trusting them enough that you're not worrying about them or worried if you're not experiencing them it's such a big process you know we talk so much about letting go and surrender and labor but that starts in the last weeks of pregnancy. Yes, exactly. The letting go mm -hmm. and trusting mm -hmm. your body to do its thing. You know, but there's such a lot of pressure around having your baby by 40 weeks. If you're lucky, they'll let you go to 40 weeks. But more and more inductions are happening around 37 weeks. I mean, that's that makes no sense to me and maybe there, there's a medical reason to end the pregnancy there but that's what you want is you want a legit medical reason why it's safer to end the pregnancy there as opposed to letting it continue without any intervention well the conditions that would make it safer to have the baby outside the body rather than inside the body would be those medical conditions like gestational or chronic hypertension so whether that has been something that she's had that was diagnosed in early pregnancy or whether it only happens towards the end of pregnancy that would be a medical indication or sudden preeclampsia which is when the blood pressure goes up suddenly and very high um, diabetes if the membranes rupture before 37 weeks then that would be an indication yes. for an induction. Or if there's severe fetal growth retardation, meaning that the baby is not growing and developing as it should. And a post-term pregnancy, while it's an indication, you know, term is 40 weeks. So post-term is anything after that. And in most circles, it is considered safe to go up to 42 weeks. But it's really important to, I mean, this is a very controversial subject as well. I mean, there's been so many studies that have been done about when or even if an induction is medically indicated. And I think that every case needs to be looked at really individually. And most research articles and guidelines say that because there are benefits and risks to both options, either waiting or inducing, it's important to take in the woman's values, goals, and preferences because they also play a part in the decision-making process. Every single one is individual because we have to look at those values, look at the goals, look at her preferences, and then take into account how her pregnancy has been, what her risk profile is. And when I say risk profile, I'm referring specifically 
to those medical conditions that we spoke about. And if there aren't any, you know, then look at what we've got. A second opinion. <laughs> and a second, a second opinion. opinion. <laughs> yeah. And, and that would be a good time to go for a second opinion because what one doctor thinks might be very different to what another one thinks. And it goes back to what we said in last week's podcast, which we're releasing soon, <laughs> about the heart of hearts. You know, what do you feel in your heart of hearts? And our anonymous lady actually referred to that. She said, there's part of me that is really keen to go in for, for an induction. But mm. I'm also thinking, is my baby ready? And I, am I ready? And maybe all she needs is a couple more days. But the thing is also in the last few weeks of pregnancy, what I've found is that mothers are so much more vulnerable to, well, to intervention, but also to how they feel. So mm. they're just more vulnerable in general. So they feel heavier. It's difficult to move around. It's difficult to sleep. They feel uncomfortable in their bodies they've got heartburn through the roof you know there's all these other symptoms which are heightened in the last few weeks of pregnancy and it's just another carrot you know let's let's end the pregnancy now have the induction you can have your baby this weekend it feels like a carrot sometimes and it's and, a very tempting carrot eh? yeah it's a tempting carrot when you're feeling so uncomfortable, but just always go back to the fact that the pregnancy will end. It will yes. end. You're not going to be pregnant forever. So what difference will a few days make to you and your baby? Think about all the things that are happening in those last weeks of pregnancy. And that is really the time when the baby is fully developed and it's just packing on that brown fat under the skin which is their source of energy in the first three days when mom only has colostrum and the majority of the energy requirements are being met by the baby breaking down that brown fat under their skin. So every day that you give mm. them extra inside is an extra little bit of that brown fat so that the most common concern of moms in those first few days when they see that the colostrum is in such small and minute amounts they really worry that their baby is not getting enough but it's really designed for it to be small amounts that are given frequently and trusting once again trusting the process and trusting that baby is getting the majority of the energy requirements from just breaking down that brown fat which is is perfectly designed by nature so you know Think about it from the baby's point of view as well. And babies know when they're ready. And that's why you feel so uncomfortable because they are ready and they're constantly shifting and moving and squiggling into place as they start engaging into the pelvis, which does feel uncomfortable. But if you can go back to the sense of trust that that's actually baby getting ready, it, well, I don't know if it'll make it any easier, but it just take one day at a time, really. Yes, and it's such a delicate balance of hormones you know, that start labor, it's such a delicate release. There's like a specific order of hormones that happen to trigger labor to start. And it's like a gentle awakening of the baby, gentle awakening of your body that triggers the whole process to begin. And it happens when your body and your baby are ready and right. Actually, you know Sarah Buckley? Yes. 
she said something amazing and I just want to see if I can find it she's she was talking about whether or not there were any benefits to going past your due date and she says based on the available evidence overall consistent and coherent evidence from physiologic understanding and human and animal studies finds that the innate hormonal physiology of mothers and babies when promoted supported and protected has significant benefits for both in childbearing and likely into the future by optimizing labor and birth, newborn transitions, breastfeeding, maternal adaptations, and maternal infant att attachment. And she is referring specifically to um, the hormonal benefits of experiencing spontaneous labor. And that is from her book, Hormonal Physiology of Childbearing. So as you say, it, it really is about trusting and understanding that balance and harmony of the hormones of labor and trusting that exactly. that is happening. And we're not saying that inductions are always unnecessary. That's no. not what we're saying at all. I think it's important to note the medical indications for an induction and why in some situations it would be necessary and why we would need it yes absolutely and i think it's being comfortable to have that conversation because if if induction comes up at your 39 week appointment like it did for the lady who sends us her letter then all we you want to do is feel comfortable to say right i totally get that i've been doing a bit of reading up and research myself but are there any alternatives to this you know and the alternative would be waiting another week going home and having loads of sex, which we know is a natural way of inducing labor purely because there is prostaglandin present in the semen. So when your partner ejaculates and that semen goes against the cervix, it has that natural softening ripen effect on the cervix. Plus orgasm stimulates natural sort of contractions and movements of the uterine muscles. And what are the benefits to me of doing this induction tomorrow or today what are their benefits to my baby? Are there any benefits? Do those benefits outweigh the risk of waiting another few days or another week? And, and what reason are you giving me for my induction? Is there a medical reason? And, and once again, does that medical reason outweigh waiting another few days? And you can request that, please, could we wait a few days and that you're happy to come in every day for a CTG, to check on baby, check on mom, that everything is fine for you to wait a little bit longer. Yeah, absolutely. You just want accurate evidence-based information and guidance from your healthcare provider so that you can decide whether you want to induce labor or wait for spontaneous labor and you know what that looks and feels like for you. So let's go through some natural ways to induce labor. Right. But well, we've already spoken about <laughs> one, <laughs> which is going home yes, and having lots of sex, sex, which I know is generally not what you want to do when you are heavily pregnant and already feeling uncomfortable, but make it as fun and funky as possible. Dads are really happy with that advice. And I sometimes give it over WhatsApp and I add the addition of a little hashtag and I say things your doula can say. <laughs> <laughs> 
go have lots of lots of sex <laughs> yeah and, and you can also ask about what foods they can eat and yes. there's lots of different things and it's it's got a lot to do with culture actually um there's a famous restaurant in italy that serves up like a parmesan eggplant parmigiano dish that they say is guaranteed to put you into labor but it's probably a combination of walking all the way up the mountain to that restaurant to eat the parmigiano <laughs> and then going home and having loads of sex that sends them off into labor because there's nothing we know of in the eggplant that actually gets your labor going and even and those Italy... <laughs> <laughs> and Italy, Italy lends itself to lots of sex, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I think at the end of the day, anything that, oh, then there's the other one of curry, apparently curry. Yes. None of those will ever, none of those are going to work if yeah. your body is not ready to go into labor. So you could eat a, eat a truckload of curry or a truckload of pineapples or whatever pawpaw, parmesan, eggplant, parmesan, whatever. But if your body's not ready, you're not going to go into labor. So food groups and food stuffs are not necessarily the way to go. There is, of course, red raspberry leaf tea and dates. But once again, we encourage you to start eating those. While red raspberry leaf tea is more about toning the muscles of the uterus. Mm -hmm. And you start drinking that at 36 weeks. Um, and eating dates... I encourage you to eat dates throughout pregnancy, actually. Certainly, you can be a little bit more consistent and diligent after 36 weeks. But um, I've never known a date to put anybody into labor. <laughs> Not the one you eat anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I think also all these foods that you've mentioned have can really stimulate your digestive system, which is so closely linked to your uterus. Mm. which is maybe another reason why it would stimulate labor to start because it's stimulating your digestive system. Yeah, absolutely. But then once again, nature generally does that as well on its own because yeah. we know that usually a day or two before you go into labor, you will naturally have sort of loose stools and an overactive digestive system because nature empties out the bowel in preparation for labor. The so, expulsive reflex is kicking in. Exactly. So once again, you're just doing something that maybe your body isn't quite ready to do. So what other natural methods have we got? Walking. Yeah. That's also a big, um, big one. And often to walk on the beach or somewhere where it's uneven can help to rock the pelvis, help to move the baby down, let the baby, baby's head put more pressure on the cervix which can then as well stimulate prostaglandin release, which in turn stimulates oxytocin to be produced to start labor. Sitting and bouncing on the ball. Can do the same thing, yes. And I must say, I've... Um... <laughs> When we go back to the whole sex thing, and you know, when you say hashtag things your doula can tell you, or hashtag things your midwife can tell you, or <laughs> can only say, um, I did talk one of one of my clients' husbands through doing a, a bit of a stretch and sweep, because I mean, oh, yes. really, it's it's kind of part of the sex act. It just depends how you do it. So, so if, you, if you're going to be in there, then have a little bit of a fiddle, <laughs> 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 and it was surprisingly yeah. effective. So. You know, Amazing. it doesn't have to be done. It's going to be a whole lot more fun if your husband does it than if your gynae does it. Or you can do it yourself if you can get up there. Put one, you can get elevate your hands around one the leg. Yes, yeah. elevate one leg 
and you can more easily reach into the vagina. Yeah. And then also evening primrose. I've heard mm. women inserting evening primrose capsules into the vagina. Yeah, so that also serves to soften and ripen the cervix. So, and then and of course is... Yes. And evening primrose should only be used under the guidance of a medical practitioner. Is that right? Yes. Or can you just try it? No, it's always better if you do it in anything you're putting inside your body, just check in with somebody before you do that. I mean, evening primrose is, is essentially harmless, but just check in. Just check yes. in before you do it because you want to know what it's going to feel like. Um, it would be the same with all the other things like moxibustion and homeopathy and acupuncture and acupressure. Those are also natural ways of inducing labor. But if you go to an acupuncturist, she wants to know that everything is okay with you um, before she starts stimulating those pressure points and getting you to go into labor. Exactly. And once again, I still think if your body's not ready, it won't actually happen. I mean, the way that acupuncture works is that it's, it's just clearing the energy channels. Meridians. The meridians. The, yeah, clearing the meridians. So sometimes your body might be ready and it does just need a clearing of that meridian and it mm. will work. But then your body was ready. Exactly. And sometimes yeah. it's just also a mind shift, you know, for women who work all the way up until their due date often they go overdue because they haven't given themselves a chance to switch off and get into their birthing body. I think that is such, in fact, it's probably the most important part of this conversation. And what, what should be the takeaway is actually your mindset. And that's where, because there's such a focus placed on induction before your due date, like most women are listening to this now they've already got this in their heads and they know that they're going to be having that conversation there's so much anxiety around avoiding induction or having a conversation around induction that it gets in the way of them being able to surrender and get into their birthing body and into their birthing brain so you know that's what I would encourage moms to do is to understand all of this stuff, but essentially let it go because it always is going to come back to trust. And it's about the mindset. So you've point, you've picked up on something so important because if you're if there's blockages in your head, it may not even be work. Side, yeah, it may not even be work. It might be an argument you've had with someone and you feel you're holding on to that very much, then it's difficult to let go. Yeah, mind and body are so connected so connected and if you're constantly worrying about what will happen energy you always say energy goes where thought flows so yes. if you're worrying about not going into labor that's what's going to happen yes just trust you will go into labor it's going to happen that baby is going to come out so if it doesn't come out spontaneously then you know that an induction is available it's always there the option is not going to go away and yeah. the option to have a cesarean is not going to go away. It's always there. But the one that you want is the one you want to place your focus and energy on. I want to go into labor spontaneously. And I know that it might take me up to 42 weeks for that to happen. And that's the only thing I'm focused on. If anything changes in my body between now and 42 weeks, and there's a medical reason where it would be preferable and advisable 
for me to use one of those medical methods of induction. It's there and I can choose to do it. But right now, there's no reason and all is good with me and my baby. So I'm just going to wait for stuff to happen. Tune in, yes. check out, wait. And there were a few more natural ways of starting labor that we can cover. I'll just list them and then we can go through them. The mild oh, circuit. Wow. Yes. Foley bulb induction, pumping or expression of colostrum and castor oil. Yeah. So the mild circuit. We've got a great handout on the mild circuit, actually. Yes. Um, and it's just three positions that you go into and spend up to, well, starting off with 10 minutes in each position and working up to 30 minutes in each position. And I think the most important thing to think about the mild circuit is what you're doing is you're creating space and you're loosening up the ligaments and the pelvic area. So you're creating space. So that's what you want to do. So the mild circuits is those three positions and then yes. curb walking same thing you are getting the pelvis moving and shifting gravity and making space and and rocking yes um do you want to speak about the next two i can't remember what they were well the foley bulb induction is what is used for v-back births mm. because v-backs are not allowed any chemical induction to take place so if they go Overdue and whatever overdue means to your care provider, that's another topic. So if they go overdue, there are ways of stimulating. So they'll try all those natural things that we've said, plus a Foley bulb induction, which must be done in hospital or with your care provider, wherever you're giving birth. And basically, it's a little bulb, a catheter bulb, that right, that is inserted into the cervix and inflated with water to stretch to manually stretch the cervix to a certain point and hopefully it falls out because then you know that the cervix has stretched to about three or four centimeters which is the start of active labor and it's definitely an option which should be considered as a way of getting things going but it can be quite uncomfortable and obviously, you'll be walking around with this insertion for the time being until things start happening, unless it falls out. Yeah. So it's what we refer to as a mechanical method of induction as opposed to chemical induction, yes, because exactly. you're using something to almost manually open the cervix. But it's done very gradually, very slowly. They gradually increase the amount. And we, when you talk about a bulb, it's not like a light bulb. It's, a, it's more like a balloon, really. So yes. it would be like inflates, inserting a, 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 a deflated balloon into the cervix and gradually inflating that balloon with fluid, usually sterile water. And then yes. as that balloon becomes more inflated, what it does is it's manually causes the cervix to open and stretch around it and then what we hope in that process is that movements and changes in the cervix stimulate the hormones and the uterus to go into labor and it starts dilating and opening on its own and then as you say when that happens then the bulb falls out so we know that hopefully labor has begun spontaneously on its own in response to that so yeah it's a great as you say, uncomfortable way that can be used. 
But it's also not recommend. I mean, it's not recommend. Not, not that it's not recommended. It's also not given as an option because it's yeah. quite a schlep mm. for the care provider to do. So it often has to come from the mother to suggest, oh, mm. what about a Foley bulb induction? And then they might roll their eyes or be like, oh, okay, you've, you've been on the done internet. research <laughs> or you've listened to this podcast. No, you're right. It's Definitely not that common. Yeah, it's not no. something that is offered. Routinely used, no. Yeah. No. And the other one we mentioned was castor oil. Seen it either work or not work, <laughs> and also it's quite a violent diaper if it does work, and it shouldn't be used on your own at home, not at all. If you have a midwife looking after you, then yes. But maybe I don't know, Corin. What do you think? I can see you, your facial yeah. expression. Yes, <laughs> it's. I've seen it used and it, I've seen it working quite well, actually, because in the Middle East, it's quite common to be used. And in the hospital that I was working at, we used to actively discourage them from having castor oil. But what I used to see was the moms would sneak in and the next moment they were feeding their daughter this little glass of something. And I knew it was castor oil. And most times it worked really well. So, you know, I used to turn a blind eye to it. But the woman was already in labor when she was being yes, given that yes. castor oil. So what it did was it just enhanced or augmented the labor. And it was being given by the mom and they'd been using it and they, they knew like the amount to give. So it's also for me, it was about just trusting that process. In my own practice, I have used it sometimes. But once again, it's one of those things where you look at the individual and you look at the stage of labor, you know, the, 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 how far they are, what their preferences and values are, how they feel about it. We talk about the pros and cons. And as you say, one of them is that it, it can be quite intense because it can really stimulate uterine contractions and most often because of what you said earlier about stimulating digestive tract. So if they're up for a little bit of diarrhea, which can be quite uncomfortable, then, you know, we'd consider it. But it doesn't always work. Sometimes you get terrible diarrhea, cramps for three or four hours and then it just subsides and nothing actually happens. But then very often something will happen 24, 36 hours late, later. And then I think, well, would that have happened anyway? Yes. I don't know. And would it, is there a risk of putting the baby into distress with castor oil? Yes, there is. Because, you know, as you say, it can be quite violent. So we never know how baby's going to respond to that. But that distress can happen. So it's important to weigh those things up. Hmm. Babies can yes. manage that kind of stress because it's part of the labor process, you know. They're going to be, they're they, they geared up for that and they're prepared for that. And you don't know it, so they're okay. I just think it's about being mindful of what you're doing. Um, it's almost like sort of under supervision, you know. And the last one that I'm mentioning here is pumping or expressing colostrum because that would stimulate oxytocin to be produced. I don't think... Colostrum should be expressed before birth. And I think we differ on that a little bit. I hear you. <laughs> but no, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. <laughs> I just don't, I think that all colostrum should stay in the breasts and wait for baby so that it's there. Why take it out? Why? I know that it might get labor going, but just use nipple stimulation. Yes. Nipple stimulation would be enough. 
precious colostrum that is meant for the baby out of the breasts, which is the perfect container, because then I have to give that colostrum to the baby in a syringe or a cup or something. I actually love that. Makes a lot of sense. Okay, so nipple and literal stimulation. Go right ahead. Get in there. I think we've covered all the natural methods. I think we have. <laughs> yeah. I think we have. No, I think so. And I think, you know, and I think that's all that we're going to cover for today. Because, yes, we could cover the medical methods of induction, but that's probably another whole podcast episode. And there's been so many natural ones. I think at the end of the day, it's always going to come back to having an open ended conversation with your doctor, looking at what your values and preferences and goals are for your birth, and then looking at your own individual pregnancy and what is going on for you and your baby. And what do you feel in your heart of hearts? What is your instinct and your intuition telling you? Exactly. So important to tap into that. Surrender. Surrender so that you can go into your birthing body on your own. Maybe we haven't even added all the other ones like meditation and mindfulness. And, yes. That comes There's an us. amazing hypnobirthing track we've included to help get things moving and it's not recommended to listen to to those two before 37 weeks you know you had an amazing post on your instagram the other day saying your cervix has a voice i I think your cervix has a voice and ears (laughs) yeah i need to edit that (laughs) so you're right you know when it comes to listening to those audio tracks to get you into labor don't do it until you're ready to go into labor you're ready go right ahead and Tune into your cervix voice and ears and have a little conversation. Say radio. <laughs> yeah. It's time. It works both, it works both ways. If you don't feel safe enough, then your body is not going to go into labor until you do, because it, it's listening, it's taking taking on the cues of the environment and the people you surround yourself with. And it is all about surrender at the end of the day. Yeah, because if we talk about those hormones that are necessary to go into labor, the opposite of those is your stress hormones, cortisol and adrenaline. You're never gonna go into labor if your body is cursing with cortisol and adrenaline and worrying causes that. Yes. So what is your state? Right. Thank you so much for this wonderful chat about induction of labor. To our lovely anonymous letter writer, thank you for sharing that concern with us. And we'll see you next week. Every week we cover topics of pregnancy, birth, motherhood. We read your letters and we interview relevant folk to bring you the most up-to-date info in every podcast. We share the recommendations and some anecdotes, both funny and serious. If you enjoyed our podcast, please help us to keep on going by sharing with your friends and any pregnant people that you come across. Our comprehensive antenatal course is also up for grabs on our website, so go check it out. Always yours in pregnancy and beyond. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.